0: The wheel of time turns, and ages come and go, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the Third Age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. The Wheel of Time turns and podcasts come and go. Welcome to Wattcast, a Wheel of Time book and watch club. We are reading through Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series and watching Amazon's Wheel of Time TV show. I'm Caleb Wimble, and with me are Katie Jarvis, Dan Katinsky. Hey everyone, Keeley Frank. Hello. And friend of the show, Nick Wicks.
1: Hey everyone.
0: Always great to have you here, Nick. We've got we've got a full house today on Christmas Eve of our recording, having our our big holiday finale special, as it were, uh, talking about the. Last episode of the first season in just a moment. Uh, remember, you can find all of us at Wattcast.net and support the show at patreon.com slash Wattcast. Your support means a lot. Even $2 at the Two Rivers tier helps. Join us on Patreon at the $5 tar volunteer, and you'll get access to special bonus episodes where we talk about things like Wheel of Time short stories, graphic novels, video games, failed TV pilots, and related fantasy epics like pretty soon, hopefully, The Witcher. Email us questions, comments, and corrections via contact.wattcast.net with the subject line questions. We'll answer them here on the show. Uh, real quick, before we dig into today's episode, I do need to issue a self-correction, which uh, I, I, I can't recall if, if anybody here pointed me out in this direction or if I just stumbled onto it in the thread reading. But it turns out I was extremely wrong about Moraine and Swan's relationship not being explicit in the books. Uh, which I had indicated in the episode where that was first revealed. And I sort of took that as like an interpretation of the closeness of their characters and something that I thought was a pretty cool change for the show to go that we were all really excited to see. Turns out uh, that is not remotely implicit in in A New Spring. That is a very explicit and textual thread of their relationship here, which the show is digging into at that point. So a little bit, of, so I, I think I'd warned people to be like, oh, you know, don't go through this series expecting too much in the way of of uh, explicit non heteronormative relationships to be made outright. But it turns out there are actually quite a few that I had uh, suppressed as a uh, as a very repressed uh, teenager at the time or preteen when I first <laughs> first started getting into those later books in the series. There are quite a number of pillow friends, as Robert J- uh, Jordan uses the term to call them. <laughs> Not my favorite term in the world, but but he me- means well, uh, and as he established. Couple times at conventions and at his blog uh, around 2005. Uh, pillow friends are not just good friends. He writes, "Oh, there, that too, but they also get hot and sweaty together and mess and muss up the sheets. Something fierce." By the way, <laughs> pillow friends is a term used in the White Tower. <laughs> the same relationship between men or women elsewhere is called something else, depending on the country. Anyway, I'm not going to read out all the passages, but suffice it to say, there are there are quite a number of uh, of explicit moments laying out the. Very romantic and intimate relationship between Swan and Moraine. Uh, some of them are very good passages, reading through a few of the collections here. You can find those on uh, a couple of places, including uh, a Reddit thread um, on the relationship between the two characters that I can toss in the notes. Or you can just read a new spring, or you can go to the, <laughs> uh, the fandom wiki page for the... <laughs> The pillow friends entry in Wheel of Time. I'm I'm never going to get used to that term if we have to (laughs) encounter it many times throughout the series. Anyway, last time we talked about episode seven of the Wheel of Time TV show, The Dark Along the Ways. The party reached Faldara on the edge of the Blight and were forced to confront their darkest fears. Secrets were kept, confessions were made, and at long last our dragon reborn was revealed. Or was he? After which, uh, Rand and Moraine snuck their way alone into the blight, leaving the rest of the party safely behind, or so they thought. Today, we're talking about season one's grand finale appropriately or ironically called The Eye of the World. I'm really not sure yet. That's something we'll have to get into, whether it merits the title The Eye of the World even. Uh, This episode was directed by Kieran Donnelly and written by Rafe Judkins. I believe Rafe Judkins alone, if I'm not mistaken, the writing credit on this one says Robert Jordans and Rafe Judkins. Um, that, That may just be an IMDb error. But I did notice probably the largest quantity of direct uh, character dialogue quotes from the book of any episode that I can recall, like unchanged lines of dialogue directly from the text, which is interesting because this is not an episode that hues at all closely to the literal plot of the last chapters of the book, which was something we had anticipated and some things we didn't anticipate. Anyway, we open 3,000 years ago, uh, as, um, as some of us have predicted and Andrew had explicitly called out, with Luz Theron telemon the... First, Question Mark Dragon, discussing an attack on the Dark One with Latra Posai Dekume, a fellow Aes Sedai. Luz Theron is played by Alexander Karim, a Swedish actor who is new to me. Uh, Latra is played by Katie Braben, an English actress I also only know from an episode of Doctor Who. We see Luz Theron willing, wearing the Ring of Tomerlin, the original symbol of the leader of the Aes Sedai. Uh, however, he addresses Latra as the Tomerlin seat. Watcher of the Flame, suggesting that the role may have been split between the two at the time. And, and yes, that, that's, the, that's not me mispronouncing, that they do call the, uh, her the, the Tomerlin, not the Ammerlin. Um, and notably, Latra calls Luz Theron the dragon reborn in the course of this argument, suggesting that he is not, in fact, the first or original dragon, as he's referred to throughout the Eye of the World, the novel, but instead may be one of many reincarnations. <laughs> uh, what do we think of this? Prologue scene, which is very, which you know, nothing like the prologue Dragon Mouth that we were expecting from the beginning of the first book that we've never actually gotten to yet. And I guess we'll wait for another season.
2: I was pretty underwhelmed. What I don't know, it's dialogue, but it didn't really seem to go anywhere in terms of the episode itself. So, um, I don't know. It from what we had in the book, which was a lot more exciting, which is kind of a a reverse of what's been normally happening, where the book normally meanders a little bit or has like lengthy dialogue sequences and it's on the the more. Tame side. I feel like this is one case where the book is much more interesting and kind of action oriented, and they went with like a a Mm. prologue that was uh, a lot more tame and kind of just a dialogue sequence.
3: Yeah, I didn't love this whole scene because part of what got me so excited about the first book initially was kind of the drama of the whole thing and it being mm-hmm. really graphic <laughs> that he just like killed everyone and then had to come to terms with it. So I thought this was kind of boring and then they they pan out of the window and it was like a futuristic world with like flying shit. I was like, "Uh-huh. Okay, what the fuck is that?" And so It
0: it kind of looks like those the world if memes of like yeah. a, a like quasi-futuristic Singapore meshed with Naboo
1: from Star Wars episode <laughs> 1.
3: Yeah, so I just I didn't really know what to think and that's kind of the whole vibe of this episode. Is I don't know what I feel yet.
1: I wasn't I wasn't crazy about the interactions, but actually I really liked the the part of that where they uh, panned out to the whole all the cards zooming, because I mm-hmm. was telling Caleb being in book thirteen right now there's like a lot of illusions that come into play uh, that, yeah. that that uh, relate to that. So I I, I liked how they how they they're sort of setting it up with that part of the. But I felt like the interactions of the two yeah, it was a little bit confusing.
4: I felt similar to Keeley that I was just expecting something different than what I got, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, the particular experience of reading the book and then watching the yeah. show. <laughs> um, and I also thought, so the one thing I got out of that scene was like the specific information about like how the male and the female were kind of like uh, trying to come together to guard the one power, which I thought was going to lead into a specific kind of ending about the eye of the world. And I also Mm -hmm. don't feel like it did. So it was interesting. Like when I was watching that beginning, I was like, okay, well, they're obviously setting up the the eye of the world ending in some way, and this information is going to be pertinent. And then I didn't necessarily feel that it was by the end of the episode. So
0: yeah, I, I could say for, for Eric in, in absentia, um, he was really excited by the sight of the future scape as well uh and and what that might uh, might imply even if it's going to be you know significantly later in the books before we really dig into the world as it existed before um but yeah that it feels like there's this dialogue here is an interesting one to begin with the ep- the episode with because it does feel like they're setting up the dynamic like you said Katie that is not really fully explored in the course of this episode it almost feels more like a teaser for future seasons uh than it really does as much a a mirror of what's going to happen in this one. Although maybe it has some resonances. So, I I mean, I guess we glean predominantly in drama terms that both Luz Theron and Latra have very different uh, imaginaries about about the way to handle the uh, encroaching threat of the, of the Dark One and, and that that is going to be dividing their way of dealing with it. And maybe we'll come back to this scene throughout the episode if we do find things that are more reflective of it. Um, for instance, Well, it does sort of set up, uh, I mean, you know, for what it's worth, uh, we're seeing Luz Theron's uh, baby before things can go south. And there's going to be a lot of baby in a cradle Throughout the course of this episode, so it's clearly trying to get that that image in our heads early on, um, even if it's not the most subtle one. So we then go go to intro sequence, and from there, I think we cut to. Um the swamps of Dagaba, it was maybe uh, Keely or was that Katie who descri- described them as, as having that sort of um, feel when we're down beneath the trees in, in the blights, and it's Moraine and Rand making their way through. But um, what, th- what, I, what I continue to think is a pretty cool depiction aesthetically of the blight that we show here, and we get the scene of, you know, we get um, one of the the boys from uh, Faldara who had done some sort of dare to come uh, see how far he could go out beyond the city, and has now been... Uh, morbidly killed by some sort of fungal growth thing that's gotten into him and exploded out uh, exploded out from him. Um, I, I got to say, the, uh, my first inkling that this episode was going to play fast and loose with details in a way that did not feel as careful as other parts of the show for me, was where <laughs> Moraine's like, she does the don't touch anything thing that Land does from the from when they go in the blight in the books, right? Like even a single stick can kill you when Land gives them that entire thing. And they proceed to spend the rest of the scene and every scene that Moraine and Rand are in here touching all the trees and like sitting down randomly and completely casually disregarding the environment for the and this was just like such a jarring like I know this is a stupid little cinema sins thing to fixate on but it was like immediately like oh that's like that's not good attention to what this what is being established in dialogue and in setting versus the way that these scenes are being put together, minute. Am I getting too nitpicky right away? Uh, like I, I should probably focus on the things I like a little more no, first, but, but, but yeah.
2: But to to that point, because I think that's a good thing to call out because it's
0: it's frustrating
2: that a lot of times locations just seem like new set pieces for the mm-hmm. the the cast to have dialogue sequences. So it's like they're always mm-hmm. like sitting down. So it's like they like Marianne and him are just chilling there and they're like, they're not moving, they're not on the, like, they really need to work on kind of like the, the West Wing style, of like, you have characters in motion all the time, like, obviously they do it in excess, but it's a good example of, you keep characters moving, they're doing stuff along, like, while having dialogue sequences, in this show, they're constantly pausing in numerous locations, and just having long sequences of dialogue, so it's like, Moraine and him are just chilling on some trees, like, in the blight or whatever, and just talking things out, and like, they mm-hmm. keep doing this so it's like they keep pausing and having very like uh, I don't know it's it's a frustrating element of the show for me it's like you, these locations need to be more than just kind of like backdrops for your conversations and you need to be engaging with the environments a lot more and you need to be progressing mm-hmm. through them but they're constantly just stopping and having like long chats and to your point it's like they're touching everything they're just like chilling it doesn't seem as intimidating as it should have been I don't know it's it's a huge frustration point for me and I feel like this show like this episode leaned into that very hard.
0: It's probably notable that one of our one of our big things we all agreed on, um, or most of us anyway, on the last couple chapters of the book was we really liked the Blight and we thought it was a really cool alien new setting to get into, but we didn't get nearly enough of it or the exploration that we wanted, the, the length of time for that that deadly journey into it. And then here, what we got in the eye of the world is cut down to the barest fraction of what we got in the novel. So a a lot of this episode for me, I think the, uh, the majority of my feeling, my complicated feelings, there was a lot I liked and I thought a lot that made sense and a lot that I could rationalize as practical necessities. But the, the, the practical reality I felt the harshest was having 51 minutes to get through all of this and, and just feeling like very compressed in, in the sequences here and in representations of things that, Things that we thought were too abstract in the book, maybe, sometimes become even more abstract here and or, or, you know, more literal in others. Uh, So maybe that'll be a running theme we'll get to. But there are there are there are those things that become more concrete and there are things that are in line with what we were hoping or at least like talking about was probably going to happen uh, because we. We get through the scene with um with Moraine and Rand talking and presenting the dangers and um and this is I think before they get into the dreams or anything, but we cut back to Faldara and the crew who's left behind, deciding whether to pursue and uh and, and really just unsure what their next steps are. We have I thought a pretty a pretty good scene between Perrin and Nick Wayne about um uh, you 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 know, Egwene missing Rand and 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 you know, saying like, I, I love him. What am I supposed to do? And Perrin be like, you know, I, I I love him too. But but um, I forget what they come to in the course of that dialogue. But it was an emotional tenor that felt pretty good for me. And and we are getting into the setup that we thought was going to be the case, where Faldara has to defend against the Trolloc swarm coming in over the course of this episode. And we did sort of get what we had hoped in terms of um in terms of the, the we wind up seeing um all the other main characters except for Matt playing a, a a substantial role in the events of the finale so that feels like a bit a large dramatic improvement on the peanut gallery effect that we that we talked about in, in the last few chapters of Eye of the World. Um, uh, I, I don't know that I, I have much to say about the Perrin and Egwene moment otherwise before we get back to Rand and, and Moraine and any thoughts on that dynamic after coming off of last week's tension with the, the quasi confession of love from parent about Egwene and the, the little the, the spat that happened between the group over that we well, didn't really I, confess it was sort of dragged out of him I
1: guess I have, I don't know whether it's just me it sounds like maybe it's just me but I feel like with the parent <laughs> parents all of parents it feel it just feels really clear to me that they're like we want you to be brooding and angry and like confused uh-huh. and like it's yes. <laughs> so just his entire every He's in, because he has like the same expression on his face, same, like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, it's just very, very like 2D for me. And I know he's like that in the books, but it, it's not, uh, uh, that's, that's kind of how I felt uh, going through the scene. That was the, <laughs> only, the only comment I had on that on that scene.
0: <laughs> it's a fair one. I, I
4: would agree with you, actually. I I think that Perrin is the one character that I didn't feel got like more developed in the show versus the, the first book. I felt mm-hmm. like the the other characters, I actually liked them better in the show than I did in the first book. Um, but Perrin, I felt like, okay, we got the sadness of he killed his wife at the beginning, and then that's kind mm-hmm. of it the whole way through. He was fairly flat after that, and his wolf aspect was not nearly as exciting in the show as it was in the book. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I also, I kind of felt like that whole tension between him and Egwene was just like forced. Like, okay, that, it just felt a bit forced. So then I thought it was a nice moment of the resolution but i also felt like what conflict there was was kind of silly to begin with
0: we had been i I think that was one thing we had been kind of happy about before that they seemed to be leaving that out the the weird the weirdness of perrin and Egwene around uh the traveler campfires and everything but i guess that was there all along and we just missed that the show was still trying to (laughs) to put that in where he's at least they left out the whole oh you know you're not so much of the making rand jealous thing until until last episode and this one Uh, but we get back to the more exciting developments maybe of random moraine in in the blight and is this where no i guess still i still not yet i'm kind of like scrubbing through the scene to see where once again i feel like uh the show loves to cut before scenes are finished uh the the random moraine scene of them sitting down to rest in the blight is cut into five separate scenes almost uh, <laughs> th- throughout the course of the show, of where they're pretty much in the same place in the same conversation, and we just keep cutting back and forth to other people and returning to it. Which I- I've never—I think that's just a-, a very common modern TV trend that I'm not like wholly fond of. I, I would prefer—I <laughs> would prefer the episode is you know more broken into like do the whole scene, do the 15 minutes all at once with these characters, unless there's a really good reason to cut it in the middle for another conversation. It kind of just feels like it's. Spl- up, So we don't forget that there's other characters, but speaking of me uh, and, you know, and I, this is, I'm so hypocritical here for the amount of time I spend decrying like, like cinema sin style analysis of films and things or, or like the whole, oh my God, they changed it from the book attitude towards stuff. This conversation with Nynaeve and Lan where, where he? It turns out he is going to go after after Moraine. Well, okay. The, well, again, should start with. There's moments I love here. I actually a tear came to my eye when they when they did the these two did the version of that exchange. Exact words from the book uh, of where. Where land does this whole you know like like, uh, I, I, like I will I will hate the man uh, who ha- has your heart, but I will love him because he makes you smile kind of thing. Like because these I'm so invested in these two characters here in the show and and these two actors and the performances that really got me here. However, the whole. <laughs> uh, Lan's like, I can't, I can't track her. You know, she, she, she has uh, suppressed our bond. And needs like, don't worry. I know a secret tell that she has, I guess, in the way that she moves through heavily wooded areas that will allow you to follow her into the, bl-. I'm just like, what, 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 what excuse me? like I feel like I'm pretty good at suspending disbelief in things. And I got past this, you know, as soon as the scene moved on, I'm like, okay, whatever. And Lan, honestly, you know, barely comes back into this episode at all. But ex- what? <laughs> um, I did Was my Again, a vibe check. Is my reaction like over the top here to some of these little bits of, bizarre little changes to my to my mind that just don't seem to make much sense to, to me I, I don't
3: know maybe i'm still on the the hate for these relationship from the book but every time that i could tell they were just taking dialogue right from the book so uh-huh. come the fuck on like this is what you kept you didn't keep what fucking loyal supposed to look like nothing about rand with his fucking sword the dreams giving them the co- you didn't keep any of that shit but you kept this bullshit dialogue so i as much as i love the relationship that's building between Nynaeve and Lan, I just like, fuck me, like move on. Like <laughs> get to something interesting. <laughs> I didn't I didn't really enjoy that. And the the things that they chose to do to like fill gap that they didn't really mm-hmm. need to have gaps if they just had right, stuck right. to the scenes from the book were fucking weird. And I don't I don't really know why they chose most of the things that they did for this episode. I don't I'm kinda yeah. just disappointed with a lot of it. To
2: mm. to that point saying I pulling dialogue from the books and everything i was very confused by that scene because was that repetitive from the last episode like was that the same dialogue they used before because she's like i if i'm not a wisdom anymore i can get married and then he says oh Mm -hmm. i thought he said that last episode i don't know if i'm just being confused from the book but i thought he's like i will hate whatever man marries you or whatever was that just him rejecting her again in a very similar fashion because she's like hey we could potentially be together if i'm not a wisdom and i have a different label or if i go to like i'm about to yeah, just you so might be thi- you that. might
0: be thinking of Egwene and Rand in the last episode because they did. No, that. I, I thought in the scene um,
2: with Nynaeve and Lan in the bedroom, they had that almost exact same conversation where maybe, they're yeah. like, mm-hmm. "I can't marry," he like he can't marry. Like they they come to that consensus, and he's like, "I'll oh, hate whatever man marries you." I thought they already did that, like they
0: played that out. So I was very confused when that dialogue. You might be right. Yeah, I just I didn't remember them having got there. I I thought it was sort of resolved with them with Lan. Uh, not wanting to at first because he's so faded and everything, and then you know uh, Ny- naive um, coming into the bedroom and everything, and then uh, and this feels like it was him reestablishing that because he's he has to chase you know he has to go to the eye of the world where he assumes he's going to die. Um, but yeah, that maybe, could maybe be the to Keely's
2: point, it's just I'm I'm getting yeah. the because it's direct dialogue from the book. I'm like maybe I'm just thinking the book scene and I'm like interposing that on last episode, but I feel like they already had that conversation, so it felt very unnecessary mm-hmm. to do it again. And I couldn't figure out like my husband and I were like watching and we're like, was that him just flat out reject? because she's like hey there might be a chance we could be together and he's like i will hate the man who marries you but I'll also love him i'm like is that your way of telling her no <laughs> like it I, just it just seemed really kind of sleazy
0: i don't know I, th- I think he just thinks he's going to die for for certain where he's <laughs> but they haven't be. given I'm, any- I'm not sure at all <laughs>
2: Oh, well that kind of flows into the next sequence of like the whole to mm-hmm. die like when to if if we move to the next sequence with like the characters that think they're gonna die doesn't Rand like specifically ask Maureen why she thinks everyone's gonna die and they make they, they build up so much and I don't know mm-hmm. I was that whole putting so much emphasis on the people that go are gonna die really deflated the finale yeah for a bit. so I just like I don't know I didn't like her explanation at all it felt
0: very what like, was her explanation because I don't remember doesn't, I really don't doesn't doesn't remember <laughs> Right, explicitly
4: asks her like, "Does that mean you'll die?" And then even says like, "Don't you don't have to come?" But then she Uh doesn't. Also, she just
0: wordlessly goes down, right? Foreboding look. (laughs) Also, just
4: you—you probably covered this last time, but that's not in the book, right? That—that's not a thing in the book. That if they go there, they'll die. That's just something they made for no reason in the show.
0: That didn't really pay off in any observable way, as far as I. Yeah, we were wondering before where they were going with that. And I, I don't know. Um, we, do, we do get uh, one of my quasi-predictions was that we would attempt to put all the hereto-unestablished uh, Balsamon dialogue into meeting him in the final episode. He did not turn out to be uh, possessing Pod and Fane. We just straight up meet Bal- Balzaman where Rand starts to fall into a dream state. He has a false wake up, um, which was a pretty creepy moment where, you know, like the the, the the moss is sort of growing over his hand. And then seems, you know, the fake out wake up. The Moraine seems to get stabbed through the back of the head with a blade. And then we realize it's one of these Balzaman dreams as, as he emerges with uh, the blade and the face. Rand shoots an arrow in his, in his fire corpse. Face, which then um, video effects its way into his head. Twin Peaks, The Return style, uh, to become uh, uh, actor uh, Faris Faris, playing... spoilers in the x-ray for the character name on amazon uh which i won't repeat because that's not actually given in the first book or even i don't even know if it's given in the second uh, um but uh but but yeah and then we have our we have our our conversation that is uh the real first meeting of, of and it seems like the first time the dark one realizes that Rand, that who is the dragon or, or thinking that rand is the dragon here uh so, so what do we think of this uh this balls i and or dark one?
4: I thought the scene was pretty cool. Um, and I was happy that we got an actual representation of the dark one and then like almost slightly disappointed when he so quickly turned into l- looking like a person because that would be easier for everyone to deal with. Mm. <laughs> um, but I, I'll have to say that like it was just before this point or at this point that I like You know, you guys all told me that the that the green man wasn't gonna be in it, but I was like at this moment I was like, Uh, Oh man, he's really not gonna be in it.
0: And so like
4: my heart just (laughs) sunk a little bit as I like came to the full um, you know, acceptance of that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, as soon as this episode started, I was like, They're not doing it. (laughs) Like this the show has not set up the pacing to allow for it Mm -hmm. at all. I mean like every other time they've kind of done something like this they've kind of backed out of mm-hmm. doing it so they kind of set the trend that it wasn't gonna happen so yeah big disappointment there but i did like the reveal of him like like the stabbing with the arrow and everything and then the pulling away it's and like marine getting stabbed too even though it was a dream sequence i think it was like the only kind of like fake out that actually worked they've tried to kill mm-hmm. fake kill like so many characters on this show already in season one uh and that's <laughs> the only one i thought was effective and we're like maybe they are trying to pull a really big plot twist here in the Finale and kill her off. Yeah. But it only stays for a second, then you're like, and then we both called. It was like a dream sequence two seconds later, but it was an effective shot, and like the dialogue there actually kind of worked. I think this is the only scene mm-hmm. I actually liked from this episode. Uh, a, a lot didn't work for me <laughs> outside of the scene.
3: I wrote down a couple different things. The first thing I wrote was, is Rand fucking dreaming? <laughs> I was like, mm. come <laughs> on. Like, of everything they've done, they're going to kill off Moraine. Don't buy, not when she's a fucking producer. They're not going to kill her character right away. And then, um, I did think it was really cool that he, like, pushed the arrow through his head and was like, ah, there we go. And, like, now he's a, a, a dude. Uh, but, again, they mentioned the Heron Mark Blade. No mm-hmm. fucking context. I still have no idea why that matters. <laughs> um, and then, um, oh, he kept calling Rand Luz. And yes. so that was kind of confusing to me that I just assumed that that meant that he thought that, that it, I guess, in the show version, Luz was the original dragon. And so now that would make sense if he's the dragon reborn, that he's just Luz Lose for like the billionth time or whatever um but yeah in the book I think it's different right didn't you say that he's called the dragon reborn not the dragon
0: well, y- yeah well in the book they call loose theron the dragon like as uh, as oh, in okay. the original one which may just be because he's the first one that they actually have or still have a memory of or or a record of as the show kind of hints here that even loose theron was a dragon reborn but but also in the book whenever Balzma shows up uh well, one besides not knowing which of them is the dragon, uh, he always addresses them as like by a whole list of names, like uh, of prior inc- reincarnations, like Rowland Darkspain and and all the like, L- there and Telemann and going down the list of the others. I can't I can't really remember uh, offhand. So I, I don't know why Rowland Darkspain is such an OC character name that that one always sticks in my head. Uh, but but suggesting that this is a dance that they've done many many times over and over and over before and always with the 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 same result. Um, ob- bleeding up to leading up to the Dark One's inevitable victory because things have changed in this cycle and and, and uh with with Cyadine corrupted things are different than, than in the prior ones. Um he uh, he does he immediately starts doing. It's it's very it's very like uh, if not Darth Vader then very very Sith uh, like temptation scene. And we're of course getting into lots of family history stuff again, and really emphasizing the you you really believe that's who your father is after all this time. Like we're we're still we're still really establishing that for uh, for Red. It's funny that he said that one of the things the dark that Balzmon says is who would have thought the Dragon Reborn would be a fool. Which is uh, only funny because he he thinks in the book he thinks that like usually Luce Theron is a clueless moron and most of his incarnations, or at least that's the way that he <laughs> that he always address, addresses him. But, but in this case, he's just uh, nagging Rand specifically a bit and in, in having no idea what's going on or what he's capable of or what it means to be the dragon.
1: So I was gonna say I liked I liked the uh, this part th- when. I like this part of the scene. I I wasn't a huge fan of the the kind of rest of the sequence that they had later on with the Dark One, but I just thought it was weird that they, like, I feel like he showed up to, like, a black tie wedding. Like, I'm looking right now, (laughs) and he's wearing, like... What looks like a legit blazer, like it has <laughs> mm-hmm. like lapels and like it has a seam right here on the shoulder. It looks like that shoulder pads that just didn't jive for me. Like the oh, the, I, I thought it was like bizarre.
0: I think that's a pretty good character note, consistent with the um with some things we learned in the books, though.
1: Oh, okay, uh, okay, maybe I could be wrong. About <laughs> I don't about. Remember. Who, uh,
0: about who this avatar actually is, like who this body yeah. is and, and where and where it's from spe- specifically.
2: But it does feel kind of like, because it's like a 180 from like this fiery CG demon dark lord character and then it mm. it just becomes so plain. So I kind of agree with Nick. It seems like a jarring contrast there. And he he's not as sinister as, like I think this dialogue works, but I also agree with Nick that I don't find a lot of the other dialogue very effective and I don't, he's not very sinister at all. Like I don't, I don't know. He's just not, he's not pulling his weight enough as like the actor's not. I don't know if it's the actor, of just the screenwriting, but something's not kind of pulling it through for me and I'm, I'm not getting enough sinister vibes from this character.
0: It's more, uh, I feel like it's going more for the the the, the kindly charismatic. Well, not kindly, but the charismatic tempter kind of thing. Then the then the you know I will devour you and eat your soul uh, version that we mostly get throughout Eye of the World, which I think could work here really well. And I and I also agree that it d- does work in this scene for the most part. But yeah, I I tend to think it's the screenwriting uh, through or the the dialogue for him throughout this episode that doesn't quite nail it. That is not convincingly. We get we get hits throughout this episode that, oh, there might be legitimate reasons for, it mostly comes from the villains and from Pun fame but, you know, there might be an aspect of balance that's needed between dark and light, and there might be, maybe the dark one has some sort of convincing argument at some point. But if he does, I don't think we get to it in this episode, and I don't think it comes. The temptation winds up being especially tempting in in the later scenes and in, in the course of this, and maybe that's that's the execution problem I have. Um, but I, I would. Ch- I think far as kind of has he ha- he has sort of like a a, a a trustworthy vibe to him beyond everything that he is saying and beyond who we know the character is. That I think he's well suited uh, for for that if the if the script lived up to it or gave him more to work with then the sort of uh, vague things that he has here that I just, I I don't know. It's, um, it's uh, It's about as convincing. That's the problem. It's about as convincing as like Palpatine's speech at the end of Return of the Jedi. But Palpatine is not that character. Palpatine is the most sinister, like you're saying, Dan, over the top, obviously evil and and corrupt uh, and monstrous villain you can think of at that point. And we know that it's, you know, it's only sheer force of his power that is effective, that there's nothing actually persuasive about his argument. So it's a different vibe what? that this doesn't really execute. Yeah, I
2: feel like if, if you wanted to make this more complex and actually work for finale you would have been dispersed like this is where I think the book is actually pretty strong you would have set it up much earlier had if you don't want to go all like outright just like sinister vibes and really creepy dude you got to really mm-hmm. build in that relationship and they could have had this interesting yeah, yeah. dynamic where he's constantly tempting him along the way no one trusts marine anyway so he could yes. have been feeding into that and that's why this is the only scene that works between the two it's because mm-hmm. he's not using oh here's a baby and a family you could have situation which is kind of just like I don't know it, it's like the lowest common denominator but like he's actually talking about like he's kind of planting those seeds of can you trust Marine? Like, is this actually the, the you want to go kind of situation? Which I think is a more effective argument than like, here's the life you could have. Yeah, like, You could have this if you have power. It's like, it's like the most cliche hero complex where it's like, if you have power, you can have the life you want kind of situation. Instead of planting the more realistic seeds along the way of, are you sure this is the right way to create balance? She's held a lot of information out from you and built a dynamic between the two characters. So when you got to this point, it would be more impactful than just bringing him in ah. the, the last second and trying to convince us that he has any kind of influence mm-hmm. over Rand at all.
3: Yeah, I think that I didn't I didn't really like the fact that I think Katie's on that said it or someone said it that like he just becomes a dude um, because it's, it's just taking away from more of like the fantasy aspect of fantasy that I like, which is like not so much just humans being shitty to each other, but like also there being other beings out there <laughs> and like the Trollocs and shit. So the fact that he went from like a demon to just like a dude was kind of disappointing. And I feel like if he was going to go for that, like charismatic, you know, potential mm-hmm. cult leader where you want to believe that he's not scamming you but he totally is. yeah he didn't do it they didn't set mm. this guy up nearly as well as they did Logan. because i totally bought yes, that from yeah. gain that he was like smarmy but you weren't sure uh like that whole scene with the king was like he just had more complexity to his character whereas mm-hmm. this guy you know like nick said he shows up in a fucking blazer and there was no i didn't <laughs> i didn't feel any inherent threat coming from him and maybe that's what they were going for that like you can't necessarily trust the dark one or whatever but mm-hmm. like nothing about him screamed to me that the scene warranted the intensity that Moraine was giving it um because i was mm-hmm. like he's literally just this chill dude <laughs> like just talking to them uh and I'm not getting anything from it and maybe like my opinion of the show of this particular episode was just going downhill with each scene <laughs> you know as soon as I found out like okay confirmed, they're not mm-hmm. doing the green man who fuck off loyal who cares about your character at this point it was just like
0: no forsaken what? showing up
3: yeah I was like well what else are they gonna fucking do because they're just making it like mean humans against mean humans and I've seen this a thousand times
0: yeah to
2: Keely I want to kind of latch on to that last point you said because that is the way my husband Josh summed up the entire, I, I like, I kind of looked over at him when this episode ended and asked him what his opinion was and kind of the wording you said was almost exactly what he says. It was like, only he, he talked about the importance, but like what you were saying mm-hmm. with like warranting things, the show wants to like warrant all this stuff and it's not actually getting there. So he's like, it thinks it's more important than it actually is. So it keeps trying to like build it up or put emphasis on things that haven't kind of warranted that at all. And that's, this episode felt that way more than any of the prior ones. Like just, it's like, well, here's this th- it's like, it wants to tease things from the book and like build things out and try to build this universe and Mm -hmm. and kind of throw in some of the book but it's not establishing itself as its own entity and it's kind of sloppily kind of trying to be its own thing but also borrowing strange things from the book and just kind of piecing them together it's like putting the building together but not doing it right it's like taking things but not understanding how they actually play together very well and i felt like this episode felt like such a mishmash of really poorly executed like taking things from the book and (laughs) taking unique things and trying to blend them together and it felt like someone didn't have the blender turned on properly or it was like broken because it just like (laughs) as a as a narrative this whole hour didn't work of like a television didn't really work for me at all
1: it's on that same subject I, I know we're not we don't want to talk about the avatar as you as you put it that is the dark one here but i think it's really too like, strange that they chose it because like the 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 latter books like how the plot winds up so i'm like really mm-hmm. almost confused about how they're going to have character represented in, in later seasons and it's like already <laughs> making me nervous of like too many uh there, there's some weird like pat plot paths that are going on here
0: yeah uh, and i and i think just on a thematic level of the the pieces blending like you're like dan is talking about here. There, there's something for me, maybe part, a big part, it's clicking that it's not working in this episode, is that the Dark One is presented here as fundamentally powerless uh, 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 in in everything with Randon Moraine. And that has been we we talked about the difference that in the last couple of weeks, the interesting thing that the show is doing the opposite of the book there and saying that the Dark One is at his absolute weakest he has ever been versus the books like this is the strongest he has been in a thousand years uh, kind kind of thing. And this is his moment. We have to stop him before he breaks out is that it saps so much of the vitality out of the uh, the the Balzaman Bal- scenes with Rand um, leading up to a point where we see that he, he fundamentally has no power right now other than persuasion, um, which is a choice you can make. And that can be, there's a lot of fantasy fiction that I feel like executes that well. The villain who is actually only so powerful as other characters' corruption allows them to be. But contrast that with, we're finding out that literally Tarman Gaiden might be starting with the giant Shadow Spawn army pouring down uh, that immediately has Faldara convinced that this is going to be the end of the world beginning uh, and and the height of the Dark Ones agents and as everything is falling apart in Faldara sort of. Although that goes weird directions, but the the army is defeated rather easily as it turns out by a very small number uh, of channelers. But then also other things go horribly wrong that we'll have to get to. But I, I just wanted to highlight that that feels like there's a core thematic tension to me that this episode does not fully resolve or know what it or I don't I don't feel like it knows what it's doing with the you know the dark one has no power or he has loads of power thing like it's it's Katie have you have you been wanting to say something sorry I I I saw your icon going on and off there. yeah
4: I I wanted to kind of jump in that hopefully it won't take us backwards but. I I felt like the portrayal of the Dark One was super intentional, and it seemed like so different than the book that that mm-hmm. to me, like when I was watching the episode, I'm like, well, they're they're making an intentional choice to make this character more like manipulative and almost like mocking, and like mm-hmm. it almost almost like the more classic like Lucifer character, like even like the tv show lucifer which my (laughs) husband watches i no longer watch that that that's (laughs) all um but like you know i like those comics kind of like I don't know, Maki, I will tempt you character versus just like pure Mm -hmm. evil, which is more what I felt like in the book. And then I think to keep moving us forward, I do think that that portrayal sort of undermines slightly what Rand does in the end. I I don't know. Like, I know it's funny because in in the book, we were kind of like, a little bit hating on the ending, the fact that he like goes into this portal and he is suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, at, at, with all the, the 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 people attacking and but but in this in this episode, I kind of missed him having that um, I don't know powerful moment because I felt like his moment was just less powerful.
0: Speaking of the the plotting of that, uh, and this is yet another one of those details of a change that I just found so jarring and could not jive the reason. The eye, of, I mean, for we'll get into this more in the episode, I guess. The eye of the world barely factors in, and it is not the source of power it is in the book. Instead, Moraine just happens to have a all that is introduced as like, this was her master plan all along was to hand uh, a sangria to Rand out of nowhere, out, out of her pocket. That 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 is what she has intended the whole time for him to use to kill the Dark One. And it is just going to be the whole, oh, I brought the bigger sword thing at, at the end of the day to this fight, which even that felt intention in, sorry, not in, it feels intentional, but also in tension with the theme of that showdown between the Dark One and Rand and the whole idea that it's actually about this moral battle it's not about um who 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 has the bigger the bigger grasp of the one power to swing to swing around and yet it sort of becomes that anyway also because because moraine brought the all, which i just did not understand that choice why introduce that additional element um it felt like an unnecessary complication that i don't quite understand yet uh as a plot detail
2: and we talked about this on the the podcast episode last time that like there was a lot of room for improvement on how the book handled the final sequence like a lot of room but somehow i feel like the show is more confusing than the book because like Mm. josh who hasn't read the book Looked over at me. He's like, I don't understand any of this. He's like, Why are they going? Yeah. Like, he's like, Why don't? Why like, Why doesn't she train Rand before they go to this fight? I was like, Well, it's important they go there because he's going to break out and he's powerful. And then as soon as we get here, mm-hmm. to your point, Caleb, he doesn't have power. He's like locked away and he he only has influence. So then, like Josh, kind of looks over at me and he's like, Well, he doesn't seem to have any power. So like, why do they have to rush to go like? fight him and why like none of it makes sense so for an audience especially that hasn't read the book none of this is working as a plot motive at all because he's like it doesn't make any sense why they're going there in the first place because he's not breaking out why are they not at this other fight, like fighting off um, all the Trollocs? So like to, especially to the audience who hasn't read the book, none of this is kind of computing at all there. It just doesn't make sense why anything is moving forward the way it is. So then when they get to that final fight, no one even knows mm-hmm. what the eye of the world is because I don't think it's visually shown Yeah, it's at all. more confusing
0: here yeah. The yeah. the eye of the world is so like, what even is it in, in the show? <laughs> who knows? I, I
4: felt like in the book, I was like, I had to have Kayla explain to me the eye of the world after we finished the book. And now I'm like laughing to myself because I'm like, well, at least the book gave us something. This episode called (laughs) The Eye of the World, I mean, I I think a viewer that didn't read the book would have literally no idea what The Eye of the World is. Mm
0: (laughs) <laughs> they even have the line about Quendalar at the end, and oh, the heartstone is broken. But they don't tell us what that means because there's no explanation of the seals on the Dark One's prison here. No. Eric, my, my my partner, speaking of Dan, like our, our significant others, like watching this thing. Eric did just read <laughs> the Eye of the World a month ago, and he's like, "What is going on throughout this episode?" He kept asking, like, "It's asking me similar questions." So I don't think it's even just total newcomers like if you haven't been obsessing over the the book and show like we have I feel I feel like you'd be very lost through, throughout much of this maybe yeah
3: and I just I don't it really left. get mess. why like what was the point of that hole in the ground with the stairs like you know we we were expecting it to be what they kind of described in the book in some mm-hmm. way. And it's literally just a fucking hole in the ground. And Rand's like, cool. Yeah, I mean it looks cool, but Rand's like, What is this place? And Moran's like, I don't fucking know. And then there just happens to be this symbol on the ground. And and fucking the dark one shows up on top of a yin yang symbol and then Rand passes uh-huh. out. And it's like None of this makes any fucking sense. Yeah. Like, why does he just happen? How did you happen? Is the to know? Yin Yang the Eye of
0: the World? Did they say that too? I think they said that, and I don't know why. Well, but- Rand
3: just walks up and he touches it. He's like, "I've seen this before." No fucking context. And then, like, why would the Dark One be there? Like, it just, and why would he be there at that specific moment? And it just, Mm -hmm. there's so much of it. And I'm like, why did, I need Rafe to do another AMA answer to this episode. (laughs) Because I just have so Uh, many questions.
2: Wait, Keely, so wait, are you saying they said the eye of the world is the yin-yang on the floor? Like, the tiles were the eye of the world?
3: I don't, I don't know that they ever, is she just like, they just go in there. I don't remember exactly what the dialogue is, but they just make it a big point of the fucking symbol on the ground and mm-hmm. that they're in some kind of hole. And then everything happens with the dark one right there. And she kept saying like, oh, we're almost there. We're almost fucking there. And then, so I guess we're supposed to assume that that was the eye because, you know, in the, in the book, then the horn and like the banner, all kinds of shit is under the water. mm mm-hmm. But that shit's all scattered, except for the fucking rock she's holding. So I don't know. <laughs>
2: don't even don't even get me started on what how they could have like when they start just throwing the items around. Like we're gonna dig that up right now. I'm like, why? Why is any of this? And then he's like, oh, so we can use in the battle? And they're like, no. I'm like, why? Why is any of this happening mm. when it's happening? Because it just like it was a downhill slide from there. Like as mm-hmm. soon as they went into like Maureen and Rand stepped into that, and all the sequences start playing out. I'm like, none of this makes sense in terms of the context of the story and thematically, and also pacing wise. It's like none of it like went together at all. It's like like so that sequence and like him like gentling her, which was super. Oh big. yeah, I guess we can and skip so, to
0: yeah. that. But that I was cool. like, whoa, uh, that's a big interesting. Change
2: well, that happened shortly after because he shows up to to Keeley's point. He, they're like, "Oh, what's going on here?" He falls unconscious, and then Dark Lord just shows up, and then Gentles are out of the blue, and it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. And then like they go and start digging up. I don't know. We can we can progress in order, but. I was- <laughs> From here, it's a downhill slide for me. Everything just starts <laughs> not making any sense at all.
1: So first, first, they stilled her, guys. They stilled her. Gentling <laughs> is for men. <laughs> That's what I forget. For men, in fact. All right. <laughs> got got okay. a gender Thanks, every sick.
0: term, yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, like the stilling of Moraine was just, what? <laughs> it's really weird.
2: I didn't even think it was until like the end of the episode when she confirms yeah, it. Yeah. I just thought he, she was like temporarily like paralyzed or something. And so Shielded. that whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when that actually in the end, when she's like, oh, I don't, I can't access my power. I was like, wait, he actually like took your power away. Just, I don't know. None of it. Did you guys that sense. whole
1: scene was like super just not like extreme or anything it was sort of she was just like oh yeah you know i'm mm. still And like he's like oh i just defeated the dark lord and they're like oh, the ground broke and like i was like um okay wait okay. wait 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 wait
0: wait, we'll we'll we'll, we'll definitely we got to, we got to dig into that uh real deep but but we should talk about faldara first right we should uh because okay, yeah. that, that's like the very last uh set of scenes and everything do we have to? i feel like we could <laughs> okay so well bad. oh well okay maybe let's just do all the faldara now and everything yeah. with that plot line so that we can go back to the stuff that yeah, to the the, the random meringues. I feel I I do just want to say overall, as you were talking, uh, all all of you just I'm like, they, I wish this had been. I would rather have had a cliffhanger. I would have rather this whole episode was like an hour of leading up to and developing these things more thoroughly up to than having a cliffhanger both at the eye and at the 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 wall here. Because let's, let's just say Feldara happens fast. But uh, so we start <laughs> we start with them. Kind of already hinted, you know, Lord Agelmar thinking that this is the end, end of days, and the army's coming, and Lady Amalisa is going to stay to defend the city with all the women, while he takes the the male warriors to go to the forward wall, which is like you know, cool, sort of like Masada style fortress in in the pass and in the or, or you know the Thermop the the three hundred is it the, at Thermopylae where the three hundred Spartans and everything, you know, that that sort of deal here at the narrow pass or or Helm's Deep, you know, it's all it's all of those things. It's yeah. it's evoking. Um, Um, And this is basically uh, getting ready for the world's briefest version of of Helm's Deep sequence here and all the characters deciding whether they're going to help with the Faldara defenses, like our main characters anyway, uh, and a rush of things going on, um, which we don't have to go into every single plot beat because there's so many. So let's just, whatever folks want to talk about, whatever whatever you would like to pull out from here, because I think trying to summarize everything for our listeners would just get confusing. They, they'll just have to watch the episode <laughs> to get a coherent timeline of everything that happens here because a lot happens.
1: Did they, so do, I, don't, I don't remember if they talked in prior episodes about the fate like being able to be in the shade because that there he has that line where he says let's light all the torches so that Mm -hmm. um like none of the fades can see i think and i kept thinking that's another example of like what dan was saying earlier where they're like trying to take things from the book and throw them in that's like not working like why would you one of
2: those
1: of all of all like things to like waste dialogue on (laughs) like i don't Uh that, that was one thing that occurred to me in the battle
4: I'll I'll say something nice uh, because just to just to raise the level uh, I thought the like I mean I know we saw them before but the mergers were just really cool looking so that was great. <laughs>
0: They aren't. I really, I really like their face design. I've got it on this. Sorry. Sorry. Still still in nitpicking mode. I really do like that. We see them. I, I, I like that. You know, they're just presented like with that sudden lethality. I wish we, we would see them doing their shadow melding thing that they do, you know, as like the most terrifying thing when they show up in the books or even just the fact that their cloaks just look like regular ass dark cloaks here, as opposed to the, the very way that they are introduced is as okay, it's very weird. That rider is riding on the hill and it's really windy, but that cloak is not moving. It's, yeah. And it's just this like, so black, it's like a void. And I just happened to like the other week scene, there's like all these videos on YouTube of like these new, I don't know if you all are familiar with like ult- ultra black materials that have been become popular in the past decade or two. Um, So like things like this, uh, this action lab short of world's dark- darkest clothing, you know, this is one of many um, folks on YouTube who has this channel of doing like all these scientific experiments and then also just fun, fun stuff that's come out tech wise, like, uh, this the, this clothing that, it's not it's not Vanta black, it's another one, it's an IR flock sheet, which is this black material that is like 99.75% light of, of, absorbent of visible light and 99.5% absorbent of UV light. And when a person's wearing it, it just looks like they're a black void in the world walking around, even in bright sunlight. I wanted something like this for the fades, even if they just did that with digital effect, where their cloaks would just be like pure black, but they kind of just looked like they were walking around a, a little bit so sorry i i've had too many of these tangents of ah they missed the the thing i liked from the book uh, of of their cool appearance and the and the being able to meld into shadows and teleport out of them stuff but i do love the way they show up i think pod and Fane is pretty awesome in this episode as, as uh, an established villain who will be apparently returning pretty heavily in the next season i think um Although they're, they're changing the dagger in, in big ways in the operation. And this was all very, very subtle. Uh, it, I had to with Eric. We, re, we were spent like 10 minutes rewinding to confirm and still shots that Padenfane is carrying Matt's dagger, the Shadow logoth dagger with the ruby uh, in the pommel. Because they just show it in flashes. Wait, and like he after is? he is? Sta- he is. You see, after he stabs Loyal and puts it away, it is the dagger. He has it. Which should mean, in book terms, that Loyal is very dead, and within seconds he is going yeah. to be very, very dead. And there's no saving him with the one power. But I don't think that's going to be the case here. I don't think Loyal is dead for a second.
1: I think I think they need a mercy kill Loyal, because I, I feel like <laughs> <laughs> they can take him out of the series at this point. Oh, he's been,
0: why has he gotten so little in this uh, I guess get, he gets yeah. to have a pacifism works thing with uh with Perrin minutes before pacifism fails to work uh, um
3: Ugh. i just hated perrin this whole episode mm. they just they nerf the hell out of his character this whole time and it drives me nuts because like okay so all that build up he's got like the wolf shit none of it's happening now you're not feeling anything now your eyes aren't turning a Mm-mm. little bit fucking yellow like nothing and then he sees pad and Fane again and he's like huh what wait a minute yeah. it like goes after him <laughs> and he looks at the axe doesn't fucking pick it up because he picks it up later dramatically to stand there holding it and not do any fucking thing with it. Uh So it's just like... I hate that this is becoming like the Rand show. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want him to be the dragon. I don't want him to have any kind of significance because I found him so fucking boring in the book. And there were other characters that I felt like they could have done so much more with and they just, they shit on them. One thing that I thought was really cool, though, was I did enjoy just the Trollocs running at the wall. I thought that was kind Mm -hmm. of cool. But then I don't know if anyone noticed, one of the Trollocs looks like he's wearing a helmet (laughs) and that was cracking me the fuck up. There's like one shot where they show the Mm Trollocs from behind and then they pan around to the front and one of the Trollocs like right in the middle is wearing like what looks like a helmet and no one else is. And I just couldn't stop focusing on that stupid little helmeted (laughs) Trolloc.
0: That might actually be a very funny Easter egg related to um, a long running complaint in fans in the 90s and 2000s. Oh, there is a, 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 this weird thing where a whole bunch of the cover art for The Wheel of Time books d- depicts Trollocs as basically humans with he- with animal helmets on, uh, with metal helmets. This is like a running thing on like the cover of The Dragon Reborn, or not The Dragon Reborn. The Great Hunt. On the cover of The Great Hunt and a whole bunch of others. Trollocs are just dudes with metal helmets that sometimes <laughs> have horns on them. Like one of those things where, you know, clearly the artist did not have a chance to read the series up until that point, got a one-page summary sheet and was like, Trollocs are, the horned servants of the dark one like okay i guess this is people in some helmets with like vi- viking horns on so i think that might be a joke maybe but i'm trying i'm trying okay. to scrub through and find the helmet yeah in trolloc I, I don't know that might could be an easter egg <laughs> I,
2: I was thinking the same thing Caleb, because I, I had just read about that when i was doing my we were having the whole offline conversation mm-hmm. about covers and everything i was like doing a lot of research into them because if i'm going to buy a bunch of them i wanted to make sure i had consistent covers for the whole series so then i looked at that <laughs> i was like looking at the great hunt and i was reading like reddit forums and they were all talking about that it's like one of the major complaints of complaints with the covers was like the the long running just like Trollocks have like our humanoids with like weird like horned helmets. So like I, yeah, that's probably harking back to that since none of the others have it too. But with with that run that Keeley's talking about, did anyone else groan when they transition to night? Because it's such a lazy like it's such a long-standing hmm. thing, especially amongst development teams. It's like when Hollywood decides to go dark. It's like a way to cheapen out on CGI and to like kind of like mass things. So it's like as soon as that scene transitions to nighttime, it's like, well, we're not going to be able to see anything now because they're, they're trying to like
0: oh, keep I, I, up with the budget. I thought they did it because lightning is not as cool in the daytime as it is at nighttime. Primarily for yeah, so. yeah. budgetary.
2: Like you can hardly see the horde when they're running. You can get away with so much mm. if you darken a scene yeah. and Hollywood does it That's all true. the time because CG during the day is the hardest thing to do and they didn't feel like doing it so they're just like we're transitioning to night now during the run so like most of the cg can just be masked by darkness and you don't have to worry about it that feels that feels fair to me
4: speaking of the special effects i was wondering what you guys thought of specifically, like, I actually thought at the wall, the special effects were pretty cool, and the lightning, and the power streaming through the women, Um, but I was, like, for Rand's scene, I was a little underwhelmed by just, like, the sweeping black and white light, because I really wanted that, like, rope that was so specifically Mm, described in the book. Um, Yeah, so I was wondering if anyone else was missing that, or, yeah, or, or, like, just the discrepancy between Rand's, like, moment being so so much less, uh, I don't know, just so underwhelming compared to the the, Aes Sedai's moment, I think.
2: Yeah, it was it was pretty, I, I, and especially the contrast you're, you're showing there, Katie, or you're talking about, like, the burning of the faces of, like, the channelers was interesting. It actually gave it a little bit of a stake mm. there because it's like they're, they're dying off in a row. And that felt mm-hmm. like it was a lot heavier than just kind of the, the CG white and black kind of threads kind of being weaved that most fans have kind of said is underwhelming. I think Andrew talked about that last time. He's very underwhelmed by the way they show channeling normally. And that's, mm-hmm. like, pretty much all Rand got to work with was just, like, the streams of CG, like, particles kind of flying around him. So I think the the lightning definitely was a more effective sequence in comparison, especially since they were jumping back and forth between the two of those.
3: I think one of the things that, like, really bummed me out about this episode was Lady Emily's character the whole time just felt mm-hmm. really forced. Like, none of her dialogue felt kind of like it fit with anything all the conversations between her and lord agomar were kind of weird and mm-hmm. it just i don't know if it was the writing for her or how the actress kind of portrayed that character but some something about it just wasn't working for me where it felt it didn't feel like it just kind of blended in with everyone else um th- i will say though the one thing that i i thought was really cool was uh so she's telling him like you have to wear a dad's fucking armor and he's like i don't want dad's armor i want my own <laughs> and he wears his and then like later on she She's wearing it and I was like Mm -hmm. okay that's pretty fucking cool I was hoping that that would happen so like that was cool but even when she like takes all of the power in and she's like I can feel all of the fucking emotions (sighs) and that's like she couldn't let go of it I hated that I thought that was so fucking stupid it's like it just however they were going to portray her as like holding on to this power it was just like she she feels emotional
1: I I, I liked how they I liked how they did that where like when they burnt out the ice that I I think that's that's an important that comes up in the book a lot and like i i like how they represented that um and how she does they do talk in the book a lot about how they're like so tempted to draw in more power and that it can mm-hmm. eventually burn them out so i thought that was that 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 part of the scene i, I like
2: can we can we have a moment of silence for all the Algamar fans from the book that just like <laughs> he, stands yeah, there, he stands there he stands there and watches as this guy slowly pulls back his javelin and throws it straight at him i was like I laughed at that scene because I was like, that's the shittiest death I've seen on screen in a very long time. Yeah, It was just so underwhelming. But, like, it's such a disservice to his character. And I don't even think he died in the first book at all. No, like, I don't know. no,
0: because he's, yeah, like, he's in Great Hunt. The, the, it was just, just like,
2: well, what are you doing to this character? So, like, to Keely's point, like, they don't she like felt him. Like, <laughs> like they didn't like... they. If his sister didn't get a lot to work with at the end, like he got even less. They just killed him off in the most pathetic sequence ever. And I was just like, I don't know what. Like that whole sieging was like one of the worst sieges I've ever seen in a fantasy series. Like, And I love when they do, like Lord of the Rings, the sieges are like my favorite parts of a fantasy series. Because they're so much fun. There's all these tactics. They run at the the wall, like World War Z style, pile up. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, like, next minute they're already through the wall and they're, like, in the field, like, fighting the channelers, I'm just like, that was... I don't know. I, I liked, it, it I liked for the shots...
0: Out. I like the shots we got for the most part. I just felt like it was really rushed and, and yeah, yeah, that it was the timing off and we get, didn't get a lot. Like, I like the tro- the look of the Trollocs and, again, the, the fades there coming in and attacking and um, some of the individual sequences, the design of the wall. But for me, it was mostly just that, yeah, we, we flashed through it so quickly it didn't really feel particularly weighty before they got to the city. Or even we didn't get to do the whole, like, every everybody in the city. We had hints of it that they were all going to be helping. Set yeah. up and prepare and get everything going, but that just pretty much disappeared. All the trebuchets um, and everything, or whatever, like the the, the, yeah. the arrows they're loading up. Um, they don't. We do don't anything get this. With- yeah, no. and we don't get the citizens defending themselves that they hint at, like in the two rivers and Edmonds Field, when you know they're fighting back with the pitchforks and all that. There's no time; we have to do all this in 51 minutes yeah. so, or 55 minutes. Why didn't they and make during, it
4: longer? Like, why do, didn't yeah. they just make it like one of those season finales that's like double yeah. the amount of time? Like it was so necessary and yeah. <laughs> so obvious. I just
1: during during all that too there was like half half of those 51 minutes were just the dark lord like talking to rand with like a baby cradle (laughs) and a to so like we we (sighs) just we just we just just all talked through like 30 minutes of the action when the rest of that episode was all just panning back to that that farms the dark lord Mm mm-hmm
3: This was just, like, step in part two for me. And, like, I think, Dan, I think it was you who said that you were really afraid that it was gonna have Dune Syndrome, of the newest Dune movie, where it's so good, and then the last, like, 30 seconds, they're like, okay, everything fucking all at once, instead of leaving it on a cliffhanger. And they should have left it on a cliffhanger. (laughs) There should have been build-up. You know, have the Trollocs running at the wall, have, like, some kind of conflict between Rand and the Dark One, and then that's it! Like, stop trying to cover fucking everything, because they spent, like, 10... 10, like milliseconds showing that I think Matt is supposed to be back at Shadar Logoth mm-hmm. at one point. Oh no
0: no I, is that I, I, thought, I thought it was Tarvalin that he was in the was, was, I, was, that?
3: was it Tarvalin? Okay, I Oh
2: that's pal- Tar I thought dark. it was Shadar Logoth Yeah, yeah I, I it was the dark. I, was like, so what I thought he the went fuck? back.
3: And then so okay Nynaeve like died and then all of a sudden there's the power Egwene crying over her and she's back so is Egwene a fucking necromancer now? Because I can get on board with that but I didn't understand that at all.
0: I think that was just a healing and I think Nynaeve Eve had only been like you know okay. medically dead a couple of seconds I took it as Egwene like you know coming into her power be doing the magic defibrillator thing there. Um, I don't even know if, if, if Nynaeve was for sure dead
2: yeah. but they're just ruining stakes at this point because using this power so frequently makes you feel like any character can be revived at any point and like they keep mm. trying to have like fake outs we were talking about this I was talking about this earlier in this episode but it's just like I'm getting really tired of every time you think a character is dead they're like they're wanting to do these mm. gotcha moments but she's not dead because we need her for so much like book readers know they need her for so much unless they're just gonna I for a second I thought they might have just condensed that down to I- 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 getting all the, the scenes for both of them and they're just reducing to Female characters down to one, which I was, like, going to be really mad about, like, condensing all there. A, but then to do the fake-out again, it's just like, how many times have we had someone mm-hmm. die, and then immediately the Aes Sedai just revives them? They're not—at least in the book, the first book, you don't get that impression they can just revive somebody from death that quickly. And it's, like, in the show, like, they're constantly doing it because they yeah. did it earlier, where— um uh the the fake dragon kills them all in that scene and she revives all of them
0: like which was a great scene i thought it's a great scene but it's becoming op
2: ability whenever someone like dies they just revive them two seconds later so there's no stakes to anything because you can just bring back a character as soon as they get killed and we're not going to believe any of the as you do on screen because they're just going to like undo it a second later so there's no emotional weight to that so it's like it's this problem with the storytelling where it's like if you give these mechanics in the world Mm We're not going to believe you whenever you try to kill uh, somebody off.
0: Well, I think th- I think they are going to give us clear tells when a kill is real. Like they do the standard movie tells of if you don't see it, it didn't happen. Like with Tom Marilyn, if you get stabbed in the in uh, like around the gut area, but you're still breathing, you're not dead. Like loyal uh, in in this episode. However, if your head gets clear lopped off by a by a fade <laughs> in like one motion, you're definitely dead. Sorry for people, including Nick, I think who was big fans of uh, w- of what's his name that uh, Cheyenne R. Ar- character uh with the eye patch in in book in book two uno is uno. it or U- uno yep no more uno sorry <laughs> that's uh, a lost cause um but i think this also gets to dan what you're saying is like they're introducing also second like basically secondary characters so they can then just kill them more dramatically like that i mean that i think that's why keely to your point amelisa feels so so stiff and so forced maybe like egomar and Amalisa are just here to die so that the main characters don't have to die but they still want to let Nynaeve have a dramatic sacrifice for uh, Egwene, which that to me felt uh, unearned for similar reasons to what you're saying, Dan, that it's like, if, if it's Nynaeve's dramatic sacrifice, let it be hers. You're clearly just killing off Amelisa for the purpose of these other characters' uh, growth. And it's not it's not quite the same as fridging. It's not like Layla in the first episode. But I do, I do agree, Dan. It does, it does get cheapening if you repeatedly introduce characters we know don't matter to the overall plot or, or like even side characters that people like that, ah, we can kill these ones off, but we can't touch the, the set of ones. That's not doing the game of Thrones thing. It's not doing the, um, the feel the, what it means for Ned Stark to die at the end of season one. Spoilers for any, anyone who's been (laughs) living, living in in a cave in the Swiss Alps for the past, uh, 20 years. Um, I also have some news about Dumbledore. Uh, but, uh, yeah, anyway, um, I guess we're all kind of on the same page with yeah. uh, the way that that's being handled. I, I do, But I do feel like they are going to find like, you know, normal TV and film ways of telling us when a character is good and dead and can't be revived and, and what threats are in that thing. Because I thought that was that was pretty much like there was a, there was the only moment in this episode I thought was slightly tricky for a second was Moraine. But even that was like a, a one second, like, oh, my God, would they really? Uh, no, this has got to be a Balzamon dream there. Uh, I, th- I think they're they're pretty much they're pulling they're pulling their punches on most of the kills. Otherwise, um, I did think it kind of worked having Marine having the dagger against Rand's throat. Like that element of the whole battle It, it was one of the only things I thought bringing much tension to that. Because uh, I guess um, did did any did any of us particularly buy the temptation sequence and the and the life that you could have? Did did any of this? work the whole you could force your will upon the world and and uh effectively like you know rewrite the minds of the people you love to do what you want because that's totally a thing that any of these characters would do based on what we know about them so far He said sardonically, but
3: yeah, I I half was like, okay, just based on how women are written and men view women in the book and in the show, well, not so much in the show, but definitely in the book, I could buy Rand saying yeah. So it felt like ridiculous character growth for Rand to be like, but that's not what Egwene would have wanted like forcing her to stay with him and get married and have a kid because like the, the book Rand is so much not that and so even though there is that disconnect where like show Rand is different from book Rand it just still for like a while I was like oh this motherfucker's gonna do this he's gonna fucking do this <laughs> because okay so, like, so it did
0: it did sort of work do you think
3: it did a little bit just because I figured like of course he would force a woman to do whatever the fuck he wants like mm. you know that that's kind of just the vibe that I saw them going for
2: I would disagree in the reverse because it didn't work for me and I didn't have any hint that he would go for it. But I actually like, so Rand has been sulky and everything, but I think that's a, I don't know, Gail, I almost feel like that's a projection from book Rand more than show Rand. Because this, yeah. thematically, like if I'm thinking about the his arc in the first show, or the first season, this should work because they start out with like them, they're in a relationship. He's like kind of letting her go, but it's always this back and forth, like
0: about... Kind he's he's really unhappy about her maybe becoming a wisdom, right? In, in yeah, but beginning. he has more he, so he has
2: that, more yeah. empathy for her though, and he, he definitely loves her. So they mm-hmm. kind of have a relationship going there. I think this should complete his arc pretty nicely for season one, where he's like kind of all the, been on the fence back and forth about this, and then he's finally coming to the conclusion that she's her own person. But it just, I don't know, they didn't they didn't build it up enough where I actually believed he'd go through with it, so it's just like I was waiting for the moment where he'd just be like, oh, no, I can't, like, in a very Hollywood style of, like... Like, I like the conclusion he comes to, though. It's like, she's her own person, she's got to make this decision, because the whole series sets up on the first episode that they want it, he wants to be with her, but she also has her own mm-hmm. passions and dreams and everything. So they did, the, like, that's, like, one of the only, like, character arcs that actually laid the seeds in the first episode. and kind of had a little build-up to that, but, I don't know, it still didn't pay off the way I would have done it.
4: I'm, like... I'm writing a scene in my book that like parallels this scene where the Mm -hmm. evil character offers the, it's a child, so at least that, she's like a 11 year old child, like the chance to go back to her old life and have it just the way she wants it. And so I'm like Mm -hmm. watching it in the show and I'm like, huh, gosh, how do I feel about this? I don't know, like, should I delete this scene that I'm writing right now? Or, Or maybe it is an effective ploy. I don't know i i i it made me think whether I liked it or not, and I wasn't ultimately sure one way or the other, but I do think that Dan has a point, and I think that from like a character arc perspective in this show it it made some amount of sense
0: i I think they could have they they missed an obvious way of doing it, which would have helped it be a a little more plausible for me, which was that we see at several points uh the dark one like at one point he he uh he uses his power to slice dream Egwene's, throat open and Rand freaks out. And then I don't know if it's Rand doing it or the Dark One, like reversing the wound and cutting it in there. For me, like the whole thing that the show is not even really hinted at that the book starts to get into a little bit is, you know, the, the Dark One wants to destroy time, right? He wants to end for him the tyranny of time and break out of the cycle and this endless, like going back and forth and doing these same things over and over and over again. And for me, if if he instead is offering Rand the power to reverse time, put all this all the horrible things that have happened to you and your friends and, and, and to the two rivers and all these dead people that you grew up with that were brutally murdered in the first episode, what if you could reverse time to put all of this back to there? You would be the master of time if you accepted if you accepted this power and like became my became my chosen one. To me, that's a much better pitch and doesn't involve the... And and also has some ambiguity in terms of it's still... It is still taking agency away from the other characters, and I think the way that eventually becomes the core of the scene, like, this is not my choice to make for them, this is not my choice to make for Egwene, but is more plausible in terms of its—and it offers way more, right? Like, to bring all those people back to life, if we—or even if they had, like, a—if uh, we had the sense that that uh, that Tam is still—they could have even had him still dying uh, slowly of the of the Ghul— uh, blade that he was stabbed with in the first episode and it's like you can you can save your father you can rewind back you can save all those people you loved and grew up with hell you could even go back and save your mom or, or, or whatever like the, this offer could be much more tempting than mind control uh, everyone in in your life into a better current world I, I don't know that seemed like some an obvious thing they could have gone with there because they even seem to be hinting at it with the the time reversal powers and the time stopping powers in there
1: um i feel i feel like they just did the dragon really dirty like they they could have just had him like there's so many I mean, you guys talked about the the green man okay they, they choose not to do the green yeah. man I, I get it but they but like they could have had just just i'm just picturing like explosions and like fighting the dark <laughs> lord and just crazy crazy action scene and instead it was like it was just so underwhelming i i it looked like they were in this tomb from tomb raider and like some the ground kind of split and you know, like the Dark One was defeated and and a Marine is killed, and I was like, "What just happened?" Did I, I was like, "Did I just fall asleep and this like twenty minutes?" Like, I don't I don't know how, how we got here.
2: Yeah, Josh had this this the, he said the same thing when the episode ended. He he was like, "That was kind of boring." <laughs> like, he's like, "Okay, like from an, if you want to the show's almost forgetting that it's there to entertain and it's not entertaining a lot of the time." Mm-hmm. So it's like. I don't know. I, I, I kind of agree with them. I was like, this episode was kind of boring. It's like for being the finale episode, I've seen some mm-hmm. shows yeah. with like a fraction of the budget they had that have been a lot more entertaining and suspenseful and could do a lot more. And I'm just like going back to that question for like kind of our speculation from the, the beginning. Where did the budget go? because they do so little with, like... It's not nearly as big as the Lord of the Rings budget they talked about, but it's still a lot to work with, and I feel like they're not doing very much. It's not very, like, Hollywood with, like, what Nick's talking about with explosions and kind of effects and everything. It's like, you got, like, the like the stuff they're doing is so easy to do in After Effects. You could get, like, one or two junior designers to do, like, the little, like, particle effects they have for, like, the ice and eye channeling and everything. It's like, why are you making everything so underwhelming? You can do so much more with this, even, like, just visually to, like, spice it up a little bit. Like, everything is always just kind of, like, the easiest route possible in terms of like showcasing things.
0: Hmm. It does feel like even if the if the choice works and this whole scene does does work as it is, which I think I think it you know I go back and forth on on moments in it. Um it's still like when he makes the decision to destroy the dark one at the end, I agree is not like a particularly exciting way of portraying that. And it just feels, it feels like weightless. And, um, and I don't know if this, is if this felt like a deliberate acting choice uh, for re for plot reasons that I don't know that sells the scene very well, that the dark one and far as, far as it just kind of seems like, eh, oh no, <laughs> like it doesn't seem like a particularly, <laughs> this is not even on, this, this is kind of like the classic, uh, you know, clashing, particle effects uh ending this is you know the oh we're we're crossing the the elder wand and the whatever other wand is thing but neither actor is really selling it here even to um to that extent of that effort is being maybe there's not because he's holding the the sangriol and just kind of like a bunch of uh light pours out and the dark one sort of fades away kind of it doesn't even really look like he explodes he sort of uh washes away a little bit in the light i do i do think they could have um amped up the the drama of that at the end
2: well, because we have no idea what he can do as a character. You've got us yeah. when you're doing a fantasy world or a world that has mechanics that are outside of the normal world. You got to explain where everybody is and what their power level is. And like, it's I mean, it's crude kind of way of describing, it, but like, you got to give people a sense of like how powerful each character is and what they're capable of doing. Otherwise, like to your point, Caleb, I didn't think it was a clash. I thought it was all mm-hmm. Rand having the power and him just making yeah, a decision because yeah. I didn't think the dark lord I think was fighting I think that right. at all. So it's like we yeah. we don't know what characters can do. So then, like when he takes away Moraine's power too, it's like a what the fuck moment for the audience. Because they haven't established hmm. that he can do all this or what yeah. his capabilities are, so we have no idea what the stakes are because we don't know what they can exert or what kind of like what their abilities are.
3: Yeah, when he like when it finally happened and they like Rand is somehow now standing up and you know looking at him, yeah. it happened so fast and I was I wrote down like did he do it like is that it yeah. like that's all that happened <laughs> and then the next scenes where they show moraine holding the heartstone or whatever it is i didn't realize that that's what she was holding i thought she was holding like the dark one in like a little like did he put him in oh. something? and like because i didn't have any fucking context for it so i was just like my brain was just trying to make up like okay like maybe he's in that rock somehow like because mm. i don't know what the fuck just happened and that would be way more interesting than what i just watched um, but I did have a question about the, or something I noticed about the whole, like, dream what-if sequence with mm-hmm. Rand. So they, when Egwene is talking to Rand, like, he comes out of the house, and he's all, like, shocked or whatever, and she's like, did you finish? And he says, what the fuck are you talking about? And she says the the lantern that Matt, mm-hmm. something about Matt with a lantern. And then when they show Pad and Fane talking to Perrin, kind of like, here's my exposition. I've been following you guys. I knew you were to He's like, you really think I fucking came to Two Rivers to sell lanterns? Mm-hmm. And so my brain is trying to like make connections with Matt more because they did just write him out of this episode, basically. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that is a thing, but I just noticed that the the thing that they initially had Egwene and Rand talking about was a lantern, and then again a lantern with Pad and Fane.
0: i I think you're I think you're definitely onto something there. I think they are drawing all those connections uh, pretty deliberately um and i I, pad and Fane might be this the the element of this episode i'm single most positive on probably probably like it is even though this is like also wildly different from the books and i don't know how to feel about the the horn of the the great horn of valier being in in the city already and underneath everything i think i think they're that that as a change to me i can see some cool places they can go with it and stuff that will be interesting in the great hunt but i i think i'm at the very least excited to have um a face to our, to an antagonist for the next season. And for that to be, uh, this particular pod and uh, performance. I, I thought he, I thought he was a pretty, in the very few scenes that he's had throughout the seasons, a compelling presence in episode one. And in this one, um, and with even like seemingly the fades at his beck and call here, but we it really all raises more questions than it answers. Uh, even though he gives a little bit a little bit of explanation there, um, I'm curious to see where that goes.
1: He yeah, I agree. He I feel like Pod and Fain looks like that crazy guy down the alleyway that you see like some somewhere in your hometown. Like he <laughs> look he, every time I see him on camera, I'm like what happened? What's gonna happen? So I, I agree. I think that he yeah. the representation of him and. The actor and like and how he portrays them, I think, is really exciting.
3: Oh, something from um, Faldara that we didn't talk about. Min left. She oh, did ju- she? She jumped on the back of a wagon and we see her mm. riding out and away. So I'm hoping that means that like she saw something and that's why she left. Because they that was just weird to me that the like the, you know they showed her having visions earlier and then they show her just like looking kind of sad, mm. riding into the distance. So, so I don't know. I hope that that ends up being significant later on. But who the fuck?
0: Yeah, she had like the visions of Nynaeve getting roasted and everything which I thought that was maybe uh hinting for something much much later but to I, I felt like a little bit undercut by having that happen 20 minutes later in, in the same episode and then immediately undone but that is that is it is curious what they're setting up with her and that's kind of a fun way to leave a little bit of mystery open about what she has seen uh, for all of their futures or um th- does she just leave when they're doing the whole oh the foreigners need to leave the foreigners mm-hmm. can leave the city but everybody from Faldara stay here to Yeah. To stand and fight kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I hope we see a lot more of her in season two with that set up there. Uh, Lan Lan arrives after um, everything goes down with the dark one uh, and, and Rand and Moraine, uh, which is where we find out that she can't channel anymore. She's been, I guess she still could be shielded. Maybe it's not really clear to me whether she is fully severed from the one power or whether she, uh, there's some sort of block put on her. I don't know where they're going with this, but it's uh, but she's in a really bad and, uh, and sad state as land finds her. And she can't lift the, the mass that she has put on, on their bond together here. Oh,
2: sorry. Just to, Talk about like Lance, sh- like showing up in this scene. Did anyone else? Like I almost laughed again at this scene because I'm just like it almost felt like a Broadway production where it's like character enters screen. It's like well, it's <laughs> like Lance's been nowhere to be seen, and it's like oh, mm-hmm. everything. It's like <laughs> Q like ran walking off. Now, land you show up and I'm, like just walk into the scene and just like I don't know. I I
0: really didn't they like. They wrote him out of the episode. Yeah.
2: and then just the way he just comes in at like the most like when he needs to it's just like it felt like such a stage production it's like and now land shows up to have his dialogue with moraine who could have they just could have had her go back and had that it's like to your point about like the the really wonky kind of explanation for how um Uh, Nynaeve had followed them in the first place then tying that into this just so he could show up for that last five minutes and have that dialogue with her I'm like you could have just had that back at the fortress like when she kind of reappears like having him just show up on screen for the last like two minutes it just felt like such a like a musical style of like bringing a character into like the scene it's like and Lance is gonna walk in now like I don't know. I I didn't buy it at all. It just like kind of took me out of the moment of realism. Oh uh, well,
0: they they had that was that had to be purely pragmatic, right? Because they couldn't have him at Faldara because he would insist on defending the wall along with Aegol and he would die before uh, in the Trolloc swarm coming over or. He would have to dominate the scene, like slicing through hundreds of them and making a last stand and everything. And they wanted it to be about um, Egwene and Nynaeve in that moment, and, link, and linking through um, and linking through Amalisa, right? Because I, I feel like they were just trying to get him out of the way, because because they don't. They, he was kind of in the way in Faldara uh, and he'd be and, and he'd be in the way at the Eye of the World, because why? Why isn't? I mean, granted, they could have just had him go to the Eye of the World along. With show up and then the dark one like bind like bind him so he can't move in the same way that he's sort of
2: Yeah. I mean but the but that's a good point too. We didn't even get a single sword it's a fantasy show. We didn't get a single sword fight because they break into the wall, throw their javelins, and then they're doing the channeling. So it's like they're not even bothering to have like like Lord of the Rings had so many fun, like sword fights between like orcs and humans and like elves and all that. They're like just cutting all that they're not even bothering to have like any kind of fight sequences where it could've been more fun yeah. if they're if all the soldiers are like fighting and they're They're like kind of going back and forth and land could have been there in part of that moment. And then they channel down the lightning, but they keep sequencing things out to do like the cheapest thing possible, which is we Mm. have them take over the wall. You don't see any swords fighting at all. You're going to get one javelin Mm. thrown that represents them kind of dominating the wall. And then like we kill off the king in like two seconds and then they're all just running through the field and just like a CG crowd coming at them. We're just like kind of like, yeah, just they never want to show interactions or really fun conflict mm-hmm. at all. It's just like we're always going to do like CG channeling to like kind of represent how we fight comp- like because they don't want to hire somebody to do the choreography or I don't know why. They, it's just like they're too lazy to actually sh- show a sword fight or have like characters interacting. It's just they. I feel like they're always cutting away from having fun action moments like they're not even trying to attempt it.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like that it, it is the difficulty and the expense, right? And the, and the logistics of doing those scenes with, on a large scale. Probably because um, they are doing some really some really difficult things to film, like, especially in terms of all the horseback riding and all that. And we were watching those behind the scenes on, on the logistics that went into everything. But it, but it does feel like that was another another casualty of this episode being so compressed. And it's like, where, where do you even fit that into the schedule of this thing? If you if you actually have those fights, although we could have. Yeah. To Keeley's point, we could have had Perrin doing some stuff maybe when he, when he shows up uh, with his axe to those scenes. Um Well, when Nick's pointed
2: out that they had time, they just wasted on pointless dialogue or things that weren't mm -hmm. even in the book that were feel like filler. We don't need like I think this whole season's had so many filler moments and it's so baffling because they don't have time for filler. Like it's not one of those cases Mm -hmm. where they're trying to stretch things out. It's like they're adding in this, this filler content and taking it away from what could be very thematic moments or fun moments. And it's like they always go for like just filling out with like five minutes of dialogue here, five minutes of dialogue there instead of actually having some cool, badass scenes that would make audiences want to come back for more.
3: Yeah, I think But like my biggest issue with this last episode is that the more we talk about it, the more I'm really realizing that to me this watched as more of a drama than like an action fantasy let's fucking go kind of thing. You know, like there's so much hype in the book, there's so many like fantasy elements. Um, and I was just ready to be like mind fucked with like magic and (laughs) fantasy and all that Mm. kind of shit. I mean, that's why we enjoy like Godzilla movies and the Transformers movies, not because they're good, because they're fucking cool and like. Like, this just didn't feel cool. This felt like so much buildup. And then it was like, well... They didn't want to make it a fantasy, so they're just making it about like politics and boring person interactions. And I get enough of that with my like daily life. <laughs> so I wanna see Trollocs just fuck someone up. So that's just well, that, kind of like a letdown.
2: To your to your point, Keely, I think they did hint that the first two episodes actually have some fun sequences like that. Like she's yeah. channeling a lot. They spend at least like ten minutes with her fighting the Trollocs in the village. Like they drew that Land scene. Does out. A lot of yeah, Lance fighting yeah. people. Yeah. So it's like, cool, they're actually doing it. And those seem to be the only two episodes they put effort into to kind of like sell people on the idea of the show. And then afterwards, they kind of just phoned it in for a lot of moments. I'm like, you had that cool sword fighting and the the magic and everything. She was like, she was throwing rocks at them. She was channeling lightning. She was using fire. They put it all on display there, so it set it up as if they were going to do it. I feel like they spent a lot of their budget or time putting those two episodes together to get people to buy into the show. And then they kind of just ride it on that goodwill of the first two episodes being really solid to kind of coast through the rest of the season. And it's a finale. You got to go all
0: out for it. Well, we do we do end on a big uh, special effects moment with a mystery fleet of ships appearing with uh, what um, uh, appear to be uh, at this point uh, some very some some designs we haven't seen, kind of uh, Chinese like 16th or 17th century influence, like junk designs to the um, uh, to the sails on these things, but then uh, some folks dressed in a very different way than anything we've encountered um, or even anything necessarily that rings with obvious par- parallels who uh, have a set of channelers speaking in a language we don't know and then summoning a tidal wave up towards a shore. Uh, and and uh, Eric, my partner, comments at this point, does it look like those channelers are slaves uh, with the things on, on their mouths? and we're just told this is the far western shore and then it ends and that's our that's our hook for season two but uh, in the interest of in the interest of wrapping us up uh katie uh do, do you want to do do you have any final thoughts on this episode on the first season and uh on and on the experience of the the adaptation so far
4: um i'll just say quickly it's been a cool experience seeing the adaptation and and watching it alongside the first book um, that we're reading. Um, And I do feel like there were lots of choices and character developments made throughout this season that were really strong and brought the audience into the story. I will say that my least favorite episode was this finale. And Mm -hmm. that that's a little disappointing. But of course, I'm still going to watch on and um, I think they had a large task to to kind of create a show out of this, this book and and this series of books. So it's more than anything been been interesting.
0: And Keely, what about you? Final takes and and impressions on, on this journey?
3: yeah i i am really enjoying it um i wasn't sure kind of what i was gonna think as we started reading just because i had heard so many like this is a really like wishy-washy series that you know later books suck or like books in the middle suck and anytime that there's a long series it's like am i really gonna put in the time to make through like for in this case like 14 800 page books only for so some <laughs> of them to suck in the middle um but it's been really cool seeing it kind of come to life in the show. And, you know, as much as I'll shit on the show <laughs> the whole fucking time, I am really enjoying it. Um, And the actors and actresses are doing a really good job with what they're given. Um, So... You know, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily any of their fault. It's just some of the choices that I don't understand. And that, you know, hearing that there are people that haven't read the books and are still fucking confused uh, is pretty disappointing (laughs) because I was also I was kind of hoping that some of our hate for it would be that we have this, you know, the source material and it's not meeting those standards. Um, But if people that haven't even read it are confused, then I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. But I'm going to keep going with it because I'm invested now.
0: (laughs) And, uh, and luckily, we still have all the fan favorite books ahead of us. I've yet to meet anyone, I think, whose favorite is Eye, Eye of the World in the series, un- unless Nick, you're one, one of those exceptions. But but certainly in all the polling, Book 4 uh, is overwhelmingly the Reddit favorite and the Dragon Mount favorite. Not my favorite, actually. It's like my sec- second or third. And a lot of people like The Dragon Reborn, the, thir- the, the third book in the series. Um, so it is at least a while before the ones that are universally disliked, like uh, Book Ten, <laughs> about which, if if we make it uh, to that point in our lives, we'll probably have to have some conversation about whether to uh, or whether to cover the book with the same detail that we <laughs> that we have done for Eye of the World or our approach going forward. Uh, but but there's a lot to a lot to talk about there uh, for the future. For for now, Nick, what what are your takes on this finale and and your and your thoughts as you're coming near the end of the book series and experiencing the show as it premieres?
1: I think that the, I think we've, we've given them a lot of uh, leeway in terms of what they can adapt from the book, and I'm actually and I've been reading the IMDb reviews too of these different episodes, and I feel like a, a lot of the fans who are in here argue way anyway, and saying, "Hey, there's there's 800 pages in this book. You're not going to be able to hit all of it." Well, you know, it's just cool to see what what you've adapted and what you haven't. But then there's just these like inconsistencies and weird like illogical decisions that that the characters make. There's you know some. Some lack of dynamic, uh, like scenes and acting, and 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 as Dan alluded to, like somehow despite the budget, some things just seem like under, uh, just underwhelming, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. like the CGI and the not amazing. So I, I'll obviously continue to watch it, so you know I'll have something to to talk to you guys about <laughs> every week. But uh, but I, I think, out of like Kate, Katie said. I think out of all the episodes, if we just ignore the one with that one warder who, who we'll never ever see again, the entire episode was about him, uh, I think this was probably my probably my least favorite slide from that one.
0: Dan, what about you?
2: Yeah, I think they, they went in opposite trajectories. I think the book I started out not really liking very much. I think everyone... Uh, in our podcast group will we'll know that I was shitting on it a lot and I think over time I definitely started to like it more and enjoyed where it was going um, so whereas that kind of left me interested to see where the series is going and I'm, I'm definitely invested in reading more I think unfortunately the show took the opposite approach where I was actually really into it when it first started I thought they did, made a lot of good choices I liked the cast a lot made mm-hmm. it more relatable in the book um, it helped a lot there but then as time went on they started it kind of started unraveling for me so I, unfortunately I do feel like this might have been the weakest episode and it's such a sting to be the last episode, and like mm. finales are always so much fun for me because it's like you're most of the time shows save up their budget and like all their plot lines and all the action moments for the finale, and that's the good release and it's supposed to get you like pumped up for the next season. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't get that with this show, and I get that for most shows, even the ones that have really stagnant middle halves. So I don't know. I, I think I'm more excited to dive into the second book than I am the second season. I'm a little weary about where they're gonna go with it.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree. This this was my least favorite and uh not solely for the changes it makes, but for for what it feels like it, it could have done with where it was going and, and the opportunities they had in change. Uh because I think in the whole series so far, my favorite is right in the middle. It's it's episode four. The Dragon Reborn, uh, the you know the the naive centric and Logain centric episode that probably changes. It's one of the biggest changes in a lot of ways to the structure of Eye of the World, the book and uh, the the characters presented there, and it's just like it's a wholly unique creation of the show in some yeah. ways. And that was and that was my favorite of the season because I thought all the things that they were doing were were really uh they were there were good ways of adapting those things to screen and working within limitations and putting everything together. Whereas yeah, I think I think uh we we've all set our piece on on this episode as a finale, just not really not really cutting cutting it, though I do feel I still have a lot of hope for where they might go from here and what we might see in the second or the second season in particular, um, which I assume they're going to keep moving. We we took so many uh, early great hunt elements into this story. I think it'll allow us to jump right into almost the second half of The Great Hunt and and uh, possibly the return of characters uh, that we have not been seeing so much in the last few episodes. And, and yeah, so I, I'm pretty excited to see what they do with it still. I thought it was an uneven first season, but interesting. And I feel like a lot of thought and a lot of passion was put into trying to adapt this and to to make something new that is also pleasing fans, which is a really hard thing to do. And even when it falls flat, like in in the finale here, I, I think that uh, we, we've we seen that there is a lot of love in the cast and crew for the story. And as always, I'll I'll just continue to say, like, I I, I love, I love the casting. That's like the one unequivocal shining light with the, with the main characters, I think have been like a really wonderful uh, representation for me. I'm, I'm, I remember saying the first when we first started the cast, oh, you know, I'm always I'm always shaky about having <laughs> having a show or adaptations, movie adaptations, vision of characters implanted in my brain and I don't want it to replace the vision I have. but I'm, I'm happy to have most of these performances live, live rent free in my head as images of these characters in, in a lot of ways. So that, that's been really uh, one, one element that I like of seeing it brought to screen. So uh, next time will not be next week necessarily because we will be taking a bit of a post-season, post-book holiday break. Uh, and again, we're, we're recording this on, on Christmas Eve. Uh, so happy Christmas to all our listeners to celebrate. Happy New Year to everyone in the turn of the year uh, and happy holidays in, in general. We will be back uh, around the beginning of February diving into The Great Hunt. In the meantime, if you are, if you are hankering for more episodes of the show, I encourage you to head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash where if you support us at the $5 tarvalent tier or higher, you'll get access to two bonus episodes you may not have heard yet. And, uh, all, if all things work out with the scheduling, there will be uh, some additional things for you to listen into there. Again, we've, we've, hinted at a possibility of the Witcher bonus episodes in the coming week. The, the, one of the other many <laughs> big TV fantasy adaptations just pouring out recently, it feels like, and, and sci-fi on, on the streaming channels. Um, and uh, yeah, the, you can remember. You can find us all at watcast.net. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at watcast podcast. This episode of of watcast was produced by yours truly. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Wimble. Uh, Dan, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Pansy Dan. Keely, where can people find you?
3: On Twitter and Instagram at Keely underscore Reed.
0: And Nick, uh, thanks so much for joining us again. It's been awesome having you jump in on these show episodes and 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 getting your your take on the season so far. Now, And as you said, having somebody to uh, another fellow fan to nerd out with on all of this along with us.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. It was it was a it was a fun season to recap.
0: And uh, remember, folks, you can also support us by leaving Wattcast a five star review on Apple Podcasts, your podcast platform of choice. Helps a lot. Number two way we find new listeners. The number one way? Tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth means the world to us. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, this is not the ending. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But this is an ending. Farewell. I almost felt (laughs) I was almost going to put in an apology for being like, "Sorry for anyone who is just flat out loving this show that we're that we're ending on on such a negative note of this final episode." But
1: but you know, if you look at the ratings on IMDb, it's like it's (laughs) like seven to nine for all the other episodes, and this one is six point four.
0: Is that really really bad on IMDb? I don't I don't yeah yeah it's not good.
3: Well, I just found a um, article where they interviewed Rafe on the finale, and he confirms that Loyal is not dead. Oh, uh, and he also confirms that some of the writers are not familiar with the books. Hmm.
0: What? Interesting. It's
3: fucking great. What? Why? Like he, what, what
0: did they do? Did he just like tell them what happens generally, or did they read so Wikipedia? the, the question
3: <laughs> is, I did not expect the Horn of Valir to show up in this episode. Uh, did you debate keeping it in the show? And he says, it's interesting. A lot of writers in the room, obviously, who weren't familiar with the books were like, why are we doing the Horn of what? Lear?
0: Oh, so, they, so they're so they not familiar with the series. They only read the Eye of the World. Does that
2: it mean, doesn't even th- say
3: that they read the Eye of the World. It says not well, familiar with the book.
0: Maybe they bring writing
2: consultants that, interesting. The so that they have an outside perspective. <laughs> that might actually be a good way to balance it. But I mean, they sound like the logical ones. They're like, why are we bringing this horn in at this moment? And it doesn't sound like they listened to them at all. And they kind of just went with it. Well, well he, you re-
3: he argues yeah. that it, the, the horn is too important for book two, so you have to bring it in so it sounds like he at least at mm-hmm. this point went against what whoever these writers are were, were i don't fucking well,
0: know i mean i th- I, th- I think he's right i mean I, I think we all agreed the way that it gets shoved into the book at the end is maybe pretty clumsy sequel mm-hmm. uh baiting but i but you but you need the horn of Valir. (laughs) I'll I'll just say that. Uh, But uh,
2: bringing, they they need to learn when to bring it. Like, they can still have brought in as like a finale thing, but it's like, we're in the middle of a siege and they have a a bunch of important officers just digging a hole to get like a horn out. And, yeah. Audience yeah. that has no idea what the horn is—that is, it just doesn't compute. It's like, well, yeah, i i sorry, a I little, right before yeah. we jumped on the call.
0: It sets up a little mystery when they start tearing apart the throne room, but then the episode doesn't pay it off for the viewer at all, right? Like in any no. way, if you don't know what the horn is, it's like they kind of just have to like tell you in the scene. Is that the horn of Valir, the one that summons all the dead back from the grave to the last battle? Can we blow it out? No. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the when they said that I was like laughing because like they're like, Oh cool, they're gonna bring in people and it's like like even the characters in the show think that too. They're like, Oh, this will save us, and they're like, No, this is for something else. And you're like, Karen's like, why are you doing
3: that then? Like, why are we oh. it up right
2: now? It's like, oh, even the characters in the show don't understand the rationale of like why other characters are doing things.
3: So he also was asked about the whole rand, basically just having a fucking conversation with the dark one. Mm-hmm. And he said uh, that they really wanted to show the complexity of darkness uh, and that he said, so we wanted to really see that in this finale, that when we're talking about the dark one or darkness, how different is it really from the light? There's much more complexity in what's going on with these characters and the choices are making than you might think. We always talked about the finale as finale as people imagining he's going to the eye of the world to fight the dark one. It's going to be flames and explosions and all this stuff. Uh-huh. But Rand is really just having a conversation. I think it's such an interesting way to approach where he's going. Fucking what is, boring way.
0: What is so the complexity boring. of the darkness of though? Like, what is the that he's
3: having a conversation about darkness and whether or not he's going to choose it? That it's not just explosions. Like,
0: but what is he even cho- like? So the so darkness means being a selfish asshole at the expense of your friends, I guess that's the appeal to it. That's the, I, guess, I I'm, yeah, that doesn't feel complex to me. That feels like um, this, the exact same choice that Rand has already faced because the, because the villains are so over the top and the dark one is so obviously evil and has the, you know, the army, this is the, it's like, you have to believe that they're the sort of people that to become, become a forsaken or to side with the dark one, become a dark friend. You've got to be that kind of, well, Oh, okay what they, there's one time they had some complexity to it. In the entire series was maybe the dark friend. Uh, is it Dana who they have show up in episode three in the mining town and mm-hmm. none of us liked the, you know, waving around, running around, chasing with the sword in, in the rain sequence, but she at least does get this cool bit about, Hey, you don't know what it's like, like to try and, and make it out here in this horrible place in this world. Granted a horrible place that we don't see. We don't see anything about that society really. <laughs> um, other than that they lynched in the which is pretty bad, um, admittedly, but, but she does give some sense to hey, a lot of us are like you know like saying that oh people might join the dark one because of society and because of their place in society and they're they're oppressed they're downtrodden they're mm-hmm. they're poor they're uh, they're abused uh, they're discriminated against uh, so there are reasons to lash out and decide with the the figure that wants to destroy the world order but that is all we see of that I feel like there's no other grounding this entire season to establish hey there are reasons why you might want to tear down the social order except logane and he's mostly doing it because the because prophecy and because to fight the dark one right not because the world is a shit place that needs to be remade and maybe the dark one can help us remake the world into a better place like that they could have if he wanted that ending i would have seeded that throughout the whole season i don't know that that that's a direction they could have gone Um, Yeah, that's a a great point.
2: And I I know you don't like the episode two or three, whatever. I think it was three. The one with the the bar, the the dark friend who's like the bartender. But uh, I honestly think I was was mixed on it. Yeah. Yeah, but she honestly feels like the most human and, like, actually tangible character. Like, she had a personality, I kind of liked her, and she felt like a human being. Some yeah, characters just yeah. feel like they're written from the book, or they they feel very static. She actually felt like she had a personality and was a character, and I really like that, even though it's kind of a filler episode. Um, you don't get a lot of characters like that in this show that feel like humans. So, kinda, she She's sympathetic, she's kind of funny. Um, she You relates mean about, about the, vil-
0: the villains, like... Uh... Among most of the
2: characters, they just feel kind of stagnant as like actual human beings. I don't know how to describe it. The the writing isn't strong enough to make them feel like people in a, a real world. Whereas like they meet this character who's this bartender and she actually feels like personality, feels like she has a life and mm-hmm. i don't know how to explain it it's just like some of them just feel like book characters and sometimes yeah. like fantasy book characters don't actually feel like real people they just feel like um i don't know ways to progress the plot forward
0: oh Keely just in her thinking i missed her uh, got to hop off thank you everyone have a great weekend and christmas yeah well i feel like they did better we better on that than than jordan in the eye of the world overall maybe